Shalom. Welcome to the New Millennium Edition of the Torah Teaching. This audio program is produced by Lion and Lamb Ministries and is presented by Monty Judah. When I was a young man, I saw the, the movie uh, South Pacific. And uh, man, I got inspired by that movie. It was, a, it was a very romantic kind of story. And the setting was in World War II in the South Pacific. Uh, it's kind of a sad story, but it, but there was something about it that just was so captivating to me. And, and as a result of it, and this is true, I'm not making this up, I wanted to join the Navy. And uh, I was too young to go into the Navy at that time, so I proceeded to do everything I could to kind of prepare to go into the Navy. And I read every book in the city library, in the high school library that had anything to do with Navy, ships, sailors, fleet, you know, any any of those words. I read every book. Because I, at the age of 15, had resolved that I would like to go to the Navy. And uh, I was probably, at the age of 17, when I actually did go, was probably the most prepared guy there was ever to join the United States Navy. And when I went to boot camp, I was having a ball. I literally thought I had died and gone to heaven or Disneyland or something. Because it was everything I wanted to be. Until the first day... I went for the first personnel inspection. I'm in uniform for the first time. I'm going through my first personnel inspection as a young sailor. And I remember, actually, as I look back and I realized what they were doing at the time, they were, obviously, they're going to go in and inspect you first and absolutely trash you so that you have, you know, something you, you all you have is up, you know, to go forward from that point. In any case, I'll never forget, we had to memorize our uh, uh, 13 general orders so, man, I really diligently applied myself. I had them all memorized. And we showed up there. I had polished my boots and my shoes. I mean, I was ready. I had the best shave that morning I'd ever done. And uh, I had my uniform. All my buttons were buttoned. You know, that's what they check for you. All your buttons are buttons and everything, your belt and your gig line is right and, and so forth. And I went there and this inspector came up to me and he kind of eyeballed me up and down like that. And the first thing he said to me, he says, your ears are dirty. My ears are dirty. And he looked, and he said, they're filthy. And he looked down, and he said, your shoes aren't shined. I said, what? I, I'm polishing them all night long. What are you talking about? He says, you got enough dirt in the wells of those shoes to grow potatoes. The wells of your shoes, this little crease right there, right there between the sole and the top part. I never, I never knocked the dirt out of it. I, I just kind of polished the tops of them, but there was this dirt line that was kind of around my shoe. I had never seen potatoes grow, but somehow his comment, I got a vision of how much dirt it takes to grow potatoes. And I was like shattered. I, um, I, I didn't quite measure up. Well, you know, they were doing that at the time. They were they were doing the same to every man. And uh, we were all, you know, the, the whole thing about military training is to, to dehumanize you. You know, take your family away from you, your identity away from you, what state you come from. They even take your hair away. And uh, they put you in the same uniform as everybody else. And they're trying to kind of, like, get you to identify with a new group. They're trying to get you to become a unit a military unit in this particular case, and to reduce your thinking of who you think you are. And uh, for some, it's kind of a shattering experience, you know, to, um, 
reduce their individuality, and finally, actually what they're trying to do is, is get everybody at the same level so that we can rebuild them, so we can do with them. This Torah portion is a very interesting Torah portion, and I, in my mind's eye, I can imagine some soul, you know, who's been struggling with um, the whole idea of the Messianic movement. Should I keep Sabbath or not? You know, did the commandments go away or what? And he's finally, finally, he's decided to come for the first Shabbat, um, maybe to some future Messianic congregations, and he's come on Shabbat leprosy. That's what the subject is. This is called Shabbat leprosy. Boy, what an exciting Torah portion that is. Leprosy, boy, that's, that's a great subject. Inspired. Can't you just feel the Holy Spirit kind of leaking into your soul and just really doing good things to you right now? Hallelujah. In fact, it's a double portion about leprosy. I mean, it's not just one. It's one about leprosy and all about um, fluids that come out of your body and how they're unclean. Fluids and semi-fluids that are all unclean, you know, that come out of your body. And then there's a section about the law of leprosy, how a leper gets cleansed. You know, so it's not all negative. It's, it's, uh, it's mixed with uh, how, do, how do we get that all mess all taken care of? And there's a part of it about um, that um, it is kind of controversial because there is a real disease called leprosy. In fact, there's a couple of different versions of it. Some of it is incurable. There's some versions are incurable. And there are some that can be treated. And they have different manifestations and symptoms. Some is, is uh, just a, a mild skin disorder. Sometimes causes the loss of hair. Um, a disfiguration of the skin surface a little bit. And then the, it gets increasingly worse. The really bad one is the one that involves elephantitis, which is the actual, the appendages of the body literally rot away. I mean, your fingers rot and fall off. Your nose rots and falls off. It, you lose part of your face, maybe a foot. It's really bad news. It is not, there's nothing about leprosy that is glorious. There's everything bad about it. Leprosy is, according to the Torah, is that thing which everybody understands to be unclean. We don't, we don't, we don't struggle at all understanding the distinction between a man who has leprosy and a man who does not. There's that much of a difference. And it's the biblical definition to try to get us to understand what is the difference between the profane and holy, the unclean and the clean. Now, when we mention those words, holiness and clean and unclean and things like that, well, we, we have a tendency to kind of treat them just as religious expressions, uh, and, and we really don't want to, you know, we, we, we don't want that to be part of our spiritual experience. I can assure you, none of you want leprosy. 
I'm sure none of you would, well, let's just try it once and see what it's like. Now, and that should be our attitude with regard to those things that God says are unclean. It should be to the extent that we'll say, I don't even want to try it. I don't want anything to do with it in any way, shape, or form. Now, I'm just going to give you a very, very short review of this portion because I want to move on to what Yeshua used from this subject. He taught something very interesting about this subject. And, um, you know, there's a great debate with the sages of Israel because the, the details and the procedures are given here for the inspection. And by the way, that's the correlation of what I told you the story. You know, I got inspected, you got to come forward, and they, they find all these bad things about you you didn't realize. And this inspection procedure of how you were to be viewed and how the priest was to inspect you, and he would have to make the determination whether you're clean or you're unclean. And then it goes into this very detailed uh, procedure uh, that is to be done by the priest if by chance you are cleansed. If you're cleansed of leprosy and you've been declared unclean before that, man, there's this major procedure to get you redeclared as clean again. It's in the actual second portion of Metzora in chapter 14. Let me read to you a certain procedure that is called for here. It's only a few verses, but I want you to think now. Here's the guy. He doesn't have leprosy anymore. He's now coming to be declared clean and fully received back in from all the stigma, all of the harm, all of the separation. He's now going to be fully received back. Beginning at verse 2, this shall be the law of the leper in the day of his cleansing. Now he shall be brought to the priest. And the priest shall go out to the outside of the camp. Thus the priest shall look. And if the infection of leprosy has been healed in the leper, then the priest shall give orders to take two live clean birds and cedar wood and a scarlet string and a hyssop for the one who is to be cleansed. The priest shall also give orders to slay the one bird in an earthenware vessel over running water. As for the live bird, he shall take it together with the cedar wood and the scarlet string and the hyssop and shall dip them and the live bird in the blood of the bird that was slain over the running water. He shall then sprinkle seven times the one who is to be cleansed from the leprosy and shall pronounce him clean and shall let the live bird go free over the open field. The one to be cleansed shall then wash his clothes and shave off all of his hair and bathe in water and be clean. Now afterward he may enter the camp, but he shall stay outside his tent for seven days. And it will be on the seventh day that he shall shave off all of his hair. He shall shave his head and his beard and his eyebrows, even all his hair. He shall then wash his clothes and bathe his body in water and be clean. Now on the eighth day, he is to take two male lambs without defect and a yearling ewe lamb without defect and three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil for a grain offering and one log of oil. And the priest who pronounces him clean shall present the man to be cleansed and the aforesaid before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Then the priest shall take the one male lamb, bring it for a guilt offering with the log of oil and present them as a wave offering before 
the Lord. Next, he shall slaughter the male lamb in the place where they slaughter the sin offering and the burnt offering at the place of the sanctuary for the guilt offering. Like the sin offering belongs to the priest, it is most holy. The priest shall take some of the blood of the guilt offering, and the priest shall put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, and on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. The priest shall also take some of the log of oil and pour it in his left palm. The priest shall dip his right hand finger into the oil that is in his left palm, and with his finger sprinkle some of the oil seven times before the Lord. And the remaining oil which is in his palm, the priest shall put upon the right earlobe of the one to be cleansed, and on the right thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot, on the blood of the guilt offering. While the rest of the oil that is in the priest's palm, he shall put on the head of the one to be cleansed. So the priest shall make atonement on his behalf before the Lord. And the priest shall next offer the sin offering and make atonement for the one to be cleansed from his uncleanliness. Then afterward he shall slaughter the burnt offering. And the priest shall offer up the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. Very interesting procedure. Literally, you could say to be cleansed, to be declared to clean from leprosy is a bigger procedure than getting married. Or just about any other procedure you could think of. The ceremony that's involved is extremely elaborate. Now, this was one of the questions that bothered the priests. That was, why did Moses give us such an elaborate procedure for the cleansing of the leper? But there was another dimension to it that bothered him even more. It had to do with the sequence of that burnt offering and the sin offering. See, in every other procedure, the sin offering is done first. The burnt offering of praise comes last. This one, a praise offering, goes up first, then the sin offering goes up. Just little intriguing little details here that just kind of got, you know, all of those Kohenites, you know, thinking. And they began, since they're responsible and charged with the duties of telling the children of Israel how to perform this procedure correctly, and it is they who have to make the determination, and they who have to make the statement, this person is clean, or this person is unclean. It wasn't the duty of anyone else. Another sage could not come by and make that declaration. Only the priests could make that declaration. You're unclean or you're clean. And there was this elaborate procedure. Not much of a procedure when it comes to being unclean. They just go out and take a look. says, looks, looks unclean to me. Unclean. But when it comes to being declared clean, we got to go through this big procedure. Huge procedure to do it. Here's the conclusion of what the sages of Israel drew from all of this. One, leprosy that is being spoken of here is not just the disease that we know of called leprosy. It's talking about something spiritual much bigger. Two, leprosy is really an incurable disease. So if anybody shows up at the temple and says they have been cleansed of leprosy, you get right out there real quick and you start talking to that guy and you find out how did you get cleansed. Because it'll be the Messiah who will be doing the cleansing. It'll be a sign of the Messiah 
If you remember the base prophecies of the Messiah to come, he will give sight to the man blind. Not just any man. Not just anybody that's blind. Not somebody who had sight and then lost his sight and he went to the doctor and he got his eye repaired. We're talking about somebody who had to be born blind. Who never had an eye properly. Never had the optic nerve properly. That guy, when he gets sight, find out who gave him his sight. That will be the Messiah. And the leper cleansed. It wasn't that it just kind of went away. No, there will be a reason. The man lame. Not just anybody who had an accident got crippled. Somebody, somebody who was healed and who had been born deformed. They never did have the bones or joints or sinew or muscle properly formed. And when that guy is healed, go find out who healed him. That will be the Messiah. It's really prophecies that were to set the stage for the identification of who the Messiah would be. Because he would do things no doctor could do. He would cure problems that no one could cure. And now we come to the real issue. What is leprosy really about? The word metzora that we use in the portion here has a little uh, Hebrew word mystery here. It's a contracted word. If in Hebrew I were to say, one who spreads slander, and then I took that those Hebrew words and I contracted it into a single word, it would be the word metzora. One who spreads slander. You see, when someone spreads slander, when someone motivated by haughtiness and pride kind of steps on and tramples underfoot and, and speaks harsh words toward another, it is said he is metzora. He's casting leprosy upon another. He is trying to take that person and he's trying to say he's unclean and pronounce upon him he's unclean. And he wants others to hear the pronouncement of unclean and he wants them to reject and turn away and not have anything to do with that person and remove that person from the camp quickly, out of here. And treat him like a leper. And we all know what to do with lepers. I mean, you don't want to touch them. You don't want to talk to them. You don't want to look at them. You don't want to listen to them. You don't want anything to do with them. Just, just even if they're a family member, you know, oh man, you got leprosy. <laughs> and the the law says that's what we do with lepers. They are unclean, and they need to be removed from the camp, and they have to be kept outside and separate, and and so forth. They're like, they have no freedom. See, being clean means you're free. Being unclean, you're a slave. You're a spiritual slave if you're unclean. You, you don't get to do what you want. You don't have the freedom to go where you want. 
and other people will not receive you at all. This procedure deals with, in, in fact, both portions. I'm not going to go into all the details of it, but it, it's not just about leprosy. It, it, it transfers this whole other business, and it deals with other things like, like I said, uh, bodily fluids. It deals with seminal fluid and spittle and blood. All those things that come out of us. And, you know, and it's really, it's really very ironic the way this is. In fact, this is one of the things that they really take note of. Um, all those fluids are necessary for life. Those are fluids that are used for procreation, new life, sustaining life. And we know the life is in the blood. The very symbols that we use here in this definition for being unclean are also the very symbols that mean life to us. And it seems like in the issue of leprosy, and it seems like in the issue of the clean and the unclean, something comes together. There's a meeting point here. It's called life and death comes together. There's a dividing line. And this is the dividing line right here. This is, this is life. This is death. And this is where they come together. They are huge spiritual symbols. But they're also physical symbols and physical elements of unclean. Somehow in us, mortal frame, the very things that we symbolize to be life, if they come out of us, they're also the things that we say are unclean. Kind of ironic, isn't it? Fascinating way, the way that all uh, comes together. And what has been concluded from this is there is a much greater spiritual lesson at stake here. These are not procedures about disinfection or quarantine. I mean, in fact, if you were to, a medical person were to go into this passage of Scripture, there's some details in here about how the quarantine is to be done and how many days it should take and so forth. And you know what? The medical profession knows that's not that's really not quite right. I mean, if this is the standard for disinfection, or this is the standard for how you would quarantine someone who had a contagious or infectious disease, these procedures don't quite do it. They're kind of started and they kind of deal with the subject symbolically, but this is not a procedure that is precise and would work in the medical sense. There's something greater going on here. Something bigger. And that's what they've concluded. This business about what this lesson about leprosy is about, it's about something more important than just a simple disease and it being contagious or it being infectious or it having symptoms or there's something bigger going on here. Turn with me. I want to share with you from Second Kings chapter 5 because there is a, uh, that's the Haftor portion that goes with this passage and there's a little bit more amplification given to us there. Second Kings chapter five, and I'm sure you've heard of the uh, the fellow that ran around with Elijah, Elisha. And there's a very famous event that took place in the history of Israel, and the man's name that is the object of this attention is Naaman. Naaman. Let me read for you 
Now from Second Kings chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Anytime you hear a description being given of a man, and there is a choice of words you can use when you describe a person, the two words are, are but, and the other word is if. The word but, I guarantee you, is always going to be the contrasting conjunction to tell you something bad. Well, John, he's a great guy over here, you know, and he does all this but. But John, it's always going to be something negative. I could use the same description of the man and I could say, well, John over here, and if he were to do such and such, that's a whole lot different. That's a whole lot different way to speak about John. We're speaking of his potential. We're talking of what he could do. We're not saying he can't or he isn't or what, it, but the word but does that. The word but says, now he's a leper. He's never going to mount to anything. Even though he's a great warrior, a great champion, has many victories in the Lord, but he's a leper. Here was this man, a wonderful man, a good man, an honorable man, a champion. But he was a leper. Verse 2, now the Arameans had gone out in bands and had taken captive a little girl from the land of Israel. And she waited on Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria. Then he would cure him of his leprosy. And Naaman went and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl who was who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And he departed, and he took with him ten talents of silver, and six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothes. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now as this letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And it came about when the king of Israel read the letter, that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God? to kill and to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of his leprosy, but consider now and see how he's seeking a quarrel against me. The letter comes to the king and he's thinking, the guy's going to send his top champion to me. He's paying me and he wants me to cure him of leprosy. How? I'll tell you what this is. This is a plot. The guy is coming to kill me. He's going to come in under the pretenses of bringing gifts and wants me to cure him of leprosy. Everybody knows I can't cure him of leprosy, so it's a trick, obviously. A little miscommunication going on there. Verse 8, And it happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway of the house of Elijah. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored to you and you shall be clean. But Naaman was furious and went away and said, Behold, I thought 
he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. I love this story. Naaman knows this guy's coming. He didn't even go out to meet him. He sent the messenger, says, I'm go down the Jordan River, dip seven times, and it'll be clean. Name like, hey, you know, I'm cut dignity here. You know, I'm, I should have been uh, received. I've I, I sent a message to the king. They said, come to this guy. Come, I, the guy don't even come out. And he tells me to go to the Jordan River and dip myself in the Jordan River. By the way, how many of you have seen the Jordan River? It's green. It's got carp in it. It's not, in fact, when I take people down there for the mikvah bath, and they go down there, they go, I can always read what's in their, I can see in their eyes. They're going, we're going to get baptized in that. You know, and they kind of walk in kind of with fear and trepidation. That? Doesn't, it's not clear blue. It's not pristine perfect. It's just the Jordan River. Looks like any other river. Kind of green, moves slow. You know, it's always fun to watch uh, people step in there to the baptismal and see the car, you know, take off. And that's basically what Naaman says here. He says, the Jordan River. Verse 12. Are not Abana and Farpar and the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? I've seen that Jordan River. It's green. It's kind of mucky looking there. Can I go back to that other river? Is there something special about the waters of Jordan? So he turned and he went away in a rage. Then his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, had the prophet told you to do some great thing, would you have not done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? I mean, you came prepared to do virtually anything. Pay any price. Humble yourself. Oh, get in the dirt. Lay flat before me. Oh, I would have done that. But he said, just simply go wash and be clean, and you object. What what were you expecting? What did you think this was all about? Verse 14, so he went down and he dipped himself seven times the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. And when he returned to the man of God with all his company, and he came and he stood before him, he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So please take a present from your servant now. But he said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. And Naaman said, If not... Please let your servant at least be given two mules loads of earth, for your servant will no more offer burnt offering, nor will be sacrificed to other gods, but to the Lord. He said, if you really want to do something, Naaman, I want you to take a couple of beasts of burden, gather up a few stones here from earthen, from Israel, and I want you to go back to your home, and I want you to build an altar to the Lord, and no more sacrifice to other gods. Go back and establish a testimony of the God of Israel in your home. 
And I think the reason why this passage of Scripture is tied in back to this Torah portion is because they're trying to get you to understand that the cleansing of the leper is not the ridding of a disease. It has to do with the contrast between death and life, and we're trying to illustrate who God is and who we are. The truth of the matter is, we're all unclean. But God is clean. And God has the power and the ability, if we'll trust and obey, for us to go wash and be made clean and to receive life. No longer cast out, no longer separated. Clean enough, by the way, to go all the way to heaven. That's pretty clean. Clean enough to come into the presence of God. Really clean. Not kind of clean, you know, not the dial clean, you know, the, the real clean. The God kind of clean. Amen. This story is made reference to in the Gospels. And I think that Yeshua is really trying to illustrate something very special to us with regard to the subject of leprosy and what Tazria and Metzor is really all about. In Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 12, Yeshua meets a leper. I think it's the first time he's, met, he's going to meet a man with leprosy. In Luke chapter 5, verse 12, And it came about that while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man full of leprosy. Not a little bit of leprosy, full of it. And when he saw Yeshua, he fell on his face and implored him, saying, Lord, if you're willing, make me clean. He understood the story about Naaman. He understood that God could do it that simple. Naaman didn't get told to go down to the temple and go through that big procedure. Think about that for a moment. Here's the law. Here's a prophet. Wouldn't he be reinforcing what Moses has said? Wouldn't he say, Naaman, uh, here's, here's what you got to do. Go to the priest and do that big procedure in there. Because the procedure is not what makes you clean. It's God. God. And, and he could separate. He had understood the judgment of these matters. And so he simply said, Lord, if you're willing, I know I'll be made clean. And he stretched out his hand, touching him, saying, I am willing. Be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. But then he went and he did this, and he ordered him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing, just as Moses commanded, for a testimony to them. Remember, the priests were waiting. They were waiting for the leper who would show up. So they could ask him, who cleansed you? Because it'll be a sign that the Messiah has come. And this man was full of leprosy. 
There wasn't a kind of a partial case here. This one was going to be a real good testimony that the Messiah was in the land of Israel. And that if you are wanting to come and be washed, he's willing to wash you and make you clean. That simple. Nothing hard about that at all. Now, another reference is made in the Gospels to this in Luke chapter 14. And this is where I think that Yeshua gives us some of the deeper teaching about this whole subject. In Luke chapter 14, it begins, And it came about when he went into the house of one of the leaders of the Pharisees on the Sabbath to eat bread, that they were watching him closely. And there in front of him was a certain man suffering from dropsy. And Yeshua answered and spoke to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they kept silent. And he took hold of him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which one of you shall have a son or an ox fall into a well and will not immediately pull him out on a Sabbath day? And they could make no reply to this. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guests. Then he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you has been invited by him. And he who invited you both shall come and say to you, Give place to this man. And then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. But when you're invited, go and recline at the last place, so that when the one who is invited to you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself shall be humbled, and he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Do you remember me telling you? Met Zora, the one who spreads slander. Out of haughtiness and pride, the one who tries to pronounce and put a curse upon someone and call them unclean or unacceptable. It turns out that what this thing is about has a lot to do with how we behave toward one another. Now, if I were to come and say to you, um, well, you should not speak slanderous words against your brother. Every one of you would go, hey, yeah, amen and amen. You're, you're right on that one. Boy, and boy, we, uh, we, we should not do that. Of course, we all know we kind of do it. Well, of course, we have to be provoked, but we do it. But we know that lesson already. We already know that spiritual lesson. We know that we're not supposed to go around slandering other brethren and Pronouncing them unclean. This brother is unclean. Let's not have anything to do with him. Separate him from the camp. I don't like him. And so forth. Now we, we know that such an overt action would not be spiritually wise. You're not going to justify that uh, before the living God. And so if we're going to be good religious people, we have to do it a much different kind of way. And that's what this lesson is about, what Yeshua said. Because he's talking to religious men here. He's talking to lawyers and Pharisees. He's talking to people who know the law. He says, 
the kind of tazria, the kind of unclean, really happens like when you and when when you have a, a a feast, and you invite this one and this one and this one, and you don't invite that one over there, because everybody knows he's unclean. We don't say it, but we don't want him with this group. Do you know how many people they hear about some activity? They hear that there's an activity in which several people are coming to it, several people have been invited, someone's hosting something, and, and several people have been invited to it, and, and they don't get an invitation. I guarantee you, deep down in their heart of hearts, they know they've been called unclean. They know. What, what's wrong with me? Start checking. I don't see any bright, shiny spots on me. My nose is not falling off. But somebody thinks I have the full symptoms of leprosy. Maybe some priest pronounced it over me. And the pain and the hurt. The sense of exclusion. Just like a leper. Well, he's, you know, he goes here to the congregation. He's a pretty nice fellow, but he's a leper. We don't invite him. Yeshua goes on to teach these guys. And he gives a lesson about invitations. There in Luke 14 begins at verse 12, and he says, And he also went on to say to the one who invited him, When you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and repayment come to you. When you give a reception, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. All of those are the characteristics of a leper. That's what leprosy turns into. Makes you poor, crippled, lame, and you even lose your sight. All the symptoms of leprosy. Invite the leper, he's saying. Invite the one who's been cast out. The one who's not invited. The one who's been excluded. If you really want to hold a real reception... A real feast to God, invite that guy. Because that's the one that God wants to invite. Just like us, because we're the poor, we're the lame, we're the crippled, we're the blind. We're the outcast. Now, maybe we didn't think that way of ourselves, but that's really who we are. And the Lord wants to invite us to come and be part of his kingdom. He said, you really want to get into that work? That's what you want to do. Verse 14, and you will be blessed since they do not have the means to repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Brethren, let me, um, let me make just a very quick application statement. I'll kind of expand on this a little bit later on. But in the days coming ahead, we are going to be separated from our homes. We're probably going to be congregating together. We're probably going to be in great fear and distress. We're going to have a difficult time. Food will be short. Who do you want to invite 
to come and be with you during that situation. Shall we invite the um, the righteous? How about the rich? Shall we invite the rich? The honorable, the, the esteemed amongst our midst. Or how about people who are just hurting? They need food and they need fellowship and they need to be received. Let me tell you that your answer needs to be for the second group. Let me tell you why. Because the days will come when it, you will, your life will hang in the balances of whether or not some other brethren are going to receive you. And if you've set the standard that only the rich and the honorable and the righteous can come in, you won't qualify. You won't qualify for your own standards. So you better set them standards real good that hospitality is being extended to everybody, including me, please. Think about that for a minute. Now, brethren, let me just also say to you, in terms of wisdom and where this spiritual lesson is at, I think, for us. If while we're now in the time of peace, it is not tribulation yet. If we're now in the time of peace where everything's fine and, and, and so forth, if we start excluding now, if we start saying unclean you know, to this or that person, Guess what God's judgment is going to be on us when it's a time of war? You will be the leper. It is you who will receive the proclamation unclean. Boy, we need to really evaluate where we're at on this subject. By what measure do we fellowship with one another? What kindness do we extend? What standards do we all work to? Who is clean and who is unclean? It goes on to say, verse 15, And when one of those who's reclined at the table, when he heard this, he said, Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And he said to him, A certain man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. They all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land, and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I am going to try them out. Please consider me excused. Another one said, I have married a wife, and for that reason I cannot come. By the way, that's the three listings in the law that exclude you from the war. Did you know that? It says that if you assemble all of the sons of Israel and, they, and there's a war announced, all the sons of Israel are called, there are three reasons that you can be excluded from the war. If you have a new home, you've never inhabited into it yet, you can be excluded. If you have some animals and some and creatures that are at your equipment there and so forth and it needs to be tended to, you can be excused for that to get your crop in. Or if you just got married, you can be excused for the whole year. Well, if those excuses are good enough for war, how come they're not good enough for this? Verse 21, the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the household became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done and there's still room. 
And the master said, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in and my house will may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Now we know that there's a, in our future, there is a great feast planned. We know that the Messiah has said there's going to be this big wedding feast. And just take my word for it. You really want to get an invitation for this one. You really do. Do you realize, though, that if you exclude from your invitation list some of your brethren, it puts in jeopardy your invitation to that fist? It does. It puts it in jeopardy. And here he goes on to say, I don't care if you even get the best excuse given in the whole Bible. You see, their response in not coming, that's also another way you cast leprosy. That's another way you, you put it on. Someone extends and makes the effort to minister to you, to include you, who invites you. Not, and this is not the case of that you weren't invited. This is the case that the guy did invite you. You know, the one with leprosy, the one you didn't like, and he invited you to come over to his place. So you found a convenient way to still separate him. A little different twist on leprosy, isn't it? It ought to be the standard amongst brethren to graciously, honorably, respectfully receive, invite them all, and to accept their invitation as well. It ought to be that. Because if you start setting a different standard, if you start saying, well, that person's unclean, I really don't, that same standard is going to be levied against you by the master. Very interesting lesson. Uh, that the Lord gives us here with regard to it. This is a Torah portion that teaches us about the definition of clean and unclean, and there are unclean things. Make no mistake about it. Things that do harm, things that will spread disease, things that are contrary to what life is about. And I tell you, brethren, that if you exclude your brother, if you cut him off, whether you say it overtly and call him unclean or you do it subtly, he knows A leper always knows they've got leprosy. Always. They live with it every day. And there's nothing they can do about it. There's nothing they can, they can't, they can't change themselves. Well, there's one person who can do something about it. The Lord can do something about it. And if the Lord goes and washes this brother and makes him clean, if you then proceed to declare he's not clean, I guarantee you, you are in trouble with the Lord. You're not in trouble with that guy. You are in trouble with the Lord. Who are you to declare something unclean that God gave his life for and declared clean? There was a whole vision had to be given to Peter so he could learn that he can't call Gentiles unclean. Had to have a whole vision. Save the house of Cornelius so Peter could get this. It's from this same lesson. So whatever reason that we might be thinking about excluding, for example, what are the levels? What, how, how would we exclude? Well, you know, he's not in the same economic class. He's poor. He's not, you know, he, you know, his furniture is not as nice as our furniture. And he doesn't drive as nice a car as we drive. And if you walked in his home, it's nowhere near what my home is like. I, he, he probably wouldn't feel comfortable in being in my home. And besides, I would feel very uncomfortable with that guy's kids in my house. Because they might bump something or knock something over. And, and it's a, they've got a kind of a different economic class there, see? I would not recommend that you use that as your determination. Or uh, he's got kind of a crippled life. The guy's never really been a success at anything. I mean, he can't, you know, he's just lame. I mean, the guy's just lame. 
Have you ever tried to talk to that guy? It's lame. I, I just don't relate to him very well. Kind of a dunce. I wouldn't use that as the determinant either. Well, he just doesn't see the world the way I see it. He's blind. He doesn't have quite the intellect that I have. Boy, who's blind and who's not there? The scripture says those are the ones you're supposed to invite. If you see that weakness in that brother, if you see he's poor, he's crippled, he's lame, he's blind, that's the guy you're supposed to be inviting. That's supposed to be the cue. Get that guy. Encourage him. You know, the least of my brethren. Then you've done it unto me. Because you can't get a reward from these guys. If the guy's poor, he's, he's not going to be inviting you over to his house. He may not have a big enough house to have guests come back over, so there's no chance of getting a counter invitation to come back. The guy may be homeless for all that, and you know, we know. Then you do it unto the Lord. Then the only one that can possibly reward you is God. But if you do it amongst yourselves, and we're all at the same kind of level, economic level, and home level, and car level, and other stuff level, well, you get your reward. You got your reward. You know, you got invited, and you invited him, and it was kind of a deal. It was kind of an exchange. You know, I'll do this for you. You do this for me. Well, I'll treat you nice. You treat me nice. Well, fine. Okay, fine. Don't be expecting any reward from heaven because of that. Don't be expecting when the resurrection of the righteous comes that the son of righteousness is going to be patting you on the back for anything. What he may, in fact, be doing is asking you why you called this one over here he made clean. Why did you call him unclean? That's what you may be doing. It's like a personnel inspection when the Lord comes and you're going to find out your ears are dirty and you get enough dirt in the wells of your shoes to grow potatoes. Maybe you're not quite who you think you are. More importantly for us, brethren, if the Lord is getting ready to come back, and I believe he is, and we are getting ready to face a great tribulation, and we're going to have to rely on the Lord and on one another, boy, we had better start learning how to tolerate one another. And we better start learning how to love one another and invite one another because you may be in the near future having to sleep beside the guy and eat from the same bowl or drink from the same cup. And you better be on record as proclaiming him to be clean because you want to be clean. You better be encouraging your brethren and building up in them their most holy faith. Lifting up the tabernacle of the living God that's inside of them. You don't have to proclaim them to be the greatest God. Just proclaim the greatest God there is in him to be the greatest there is. There's some of us who are just not that smart. And there's some of us who are not that handsome or beautiful. But when I get my new body and I get my new brain, then, 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 then we'll, we'll take that subject on. And I'll be living under the government of the Lord in his land and in his place. And then, and then, we'll, then we'll see how things work out. I'm just a temporary creature like you at the moment. And we live in an unclean place. And we're just trying to get out of here. So, quite honestly, brethren, this is a lesson about we ought to be about the business of cleansing the leper. We ought to be about the business of honoring the Lord in every believer's heart, loving them, receiving them, extending hospitality beyond the measure that anyone else would. And we ought to be recognizing that we need to do that. Because if we don't, if we make the pronouncement of unclean on another, we have made it upon ourselves before God.
And that one is a whole lot different than what your brother may have to be subject to you. If our brethren are coming to us and saying we have a sense of being excluded, we need to find out why. If our brethren are coming and saying to us, I I feel separate, I feel cast off, we ought to be finding out why. And we ought to be making sure that that brother is clean and pronounced clean and removing any offense that may exist whether it be overtly done or subtly done. We need to be getting those matters taken care of. That would be the application from this Torah portion. Amen? For more information about Lion and Lamb Ministries, call our office at 405-447-4429. Our address is Post Office Box 720-968, Norman, Oklahoma. 73070. Our web address is www.lionlam.net. Thank you.